A moment of prayer as we stand. Jesus, stand among us in your risen power. Amen. Well, you've, we have read and sung quite a lot of words off the screen this morning and read and sung them very well, if I may say so. So I just thought we'd do a little bit of, um, uh, teach you a little bit of invisible uh, reading of invisible writing. Uh, if you look at the screen, I just wonder if you can uh, read to me the writing that you can't see on the screen there. Any takers? No. Okay, well, I'll teach you. Uh, it says... Uh, Stop doubting and believe. John, chapter 20, verse 27. Now have a try. Stop doubting and believe. John, chapter 20, verse 27. You see, you could do it immediately. Aren't you clever? Well done. Okay, well, we can take that as a text uh, for the next few minutes, I think. And uh, you know where it comes from, the Gospel of John and chapter 20. Um, If you are a reader, you may just want to look that passage up with me. It's page 1089. And uh, just make sure that I don't go too far off the tracks over the next few minutes. So uh, on that first Easter Sunday evening, we've thought about some of the emotions that were going on as those disciples met together in that locked room thinking that Jesus was dead, gone, buried, end of story. They'd been feeling frightened and confused, desolate. And to that frightened company, Jesus speaks those wonderful words, peace be with you. To that confused company, Jesus gives them a mission, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And to that desolate company, he leaves them, he gives them, he breathes on him, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. No wonder they were overjoyed, astonished with joy. But we know, too, that one of their number was not there that first Easter Sunday evening. Remember his name? Thomas the twin. He was missing, I don't know, I've been wondering why he might be missing. Perhaps he wasn't well. Perhaps he didn't think it was even worthwhile to gather together with the the other disciples. Anyway, what we do know is that they found him at some point over the next week, and they said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, well, that must be wonderful for you. I'm very pleased for you, but it doesn't work for me. Unless I... Unless I see... Uh, the nail marks in his hands. And unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into his side where the sword had pierced to make sure that Jesus was finally and properly dead, and unless I see these things and do these things, I will not believe it. I will not believe So that's Doubting Thomas for you. I don't know if you think we're fair to Thomas by calling him Doubting Thomas. But if you you look back over earlier chapters in John's Gospel, you do see, rather get the picture of somebody who um, 
uh, could well be regarded, at least up to that point, as a bit of a pessimist. But let's look for a few moments together at Doc Thomas the Doubter and how Thomas the Doubter became Thomas the Believer. Thomas the Doubter is found in verses 24 and 25, and we've just uh, rehearsed together uh, what his reaction was to what the other disciples had said to him. Yes, I think we can put Thomas down as something of a pessimist. One of those people, um, you may know somebody like this. Maybe you're sitting next to one. Maybe you stare somebody like this in the mirror every day in the morning. Somebody whose cup is half empty rather than half full. Somebody whose football team is always facing relegation and not promotion. And somebody to whom the light, of the, uh, the light at the end of a tunnel is an oncoming express train. People are, some people like that. They're just pessimists. Sometimes it's their personality. Sometimes it's what they've done with life experiences and the sense they've tried to make of them. But they think, they're always thinking things are going to go wrong or have gone wrong, and they put the worst possible perspective on things. They are pessimists. Now, as we think about Thomas's doubt, let's make it clear in our minds that doubt isn't necessarily and always a bad thing. It's neither good nor bad in and of itself. Doubt can sometimes be highly desirable. If we believed every story we heard about alien inductions, uh, inductions or abductions even, uh, or... Um, no, I, no, I prefer inductions. <laughs> alien inductions, we'll go with that. Um, if we believed every story we heard about tooth fairies and uh, flying spaghetti monsters, we'd soon be utterly bonkers. And if we were to be taken in by every promise made to us by advertisers, politicians, and certain religious leaders, we would lose all our money as well. No, we need to have a healthy doubt in things that are doubtful. But on the other hand, it's neither sensible nor necessary nor healthy to doubt everything, to be a perpetual pessimist, as Thomas seemed to have been. We need to be able to know and trust certain things in everyday life. I need to know that that lump of metal with those two astonishingly short, stubby things sticking out of the, the side can carry me through the air and land safely at my destination. I need to know if I can trust my wife to be faithful to me. I do. I need to know if the witness of the Bible to Jesus Christ is believable or whether it's just a piece of pious fiction. Now, as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as the Christian faith is concerned, there is a place, a very important place, for confident knowledge and for firm conviction. The late John Stott says that the, uh, reminds us that the corridors of the New Testament reverberate to expressions such as we know, we are certain, we believe. And if you don't think this is so, uh, uh, Stott says, then have a look at the little letter, the first of the letters that John wrote. First John is not a long letter, but over 40 times in that short letter, John used expressions such as, we know. So there is a place for confident knowledge. And Thomas 
was soon to learn that for himself. So let's move on from Thomas the doubter to Thomas the believer. It's one week later, and Jesus appears to, uh, again in that room with the disciples, but now Thomas is there with them. Now, if you have a Bible open, I'd like you to ask you to look closely at verse 27 and note with me the exact correspondence that there is between Thomas's doubts on the one hand, as he had expressed them to the disciples when Jesus wasn't there, at least wasn't apparently there, a correspondence between Thomas's doubts and the evidence that Jesus now offers to Thomas. Thomas had said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and Jesus says, see my hands. Thomas had said, and put my finger where the nails were, and Jesus says, put your finger here. Thomas had said, and put my hand into his side, and Jesus says, reach out your hand and put it in my side. And Thomas has said, unless I see and do these things, I will not believe it. And Jesus says to him, stop doubting and believe. John chapter 20 and verse 27. It's getting a bit faded now, the invisible writing. Well, now he had seen, and he did believe, and he worshipped my Lord and my God. The ultimate in short creeds, if you like. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, okay, so you have seen, but blessed, happy, full of joy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Have you seen with your physical eyes the risen Christ? No. Do you believe in the risen Christ? Yes. By God's grace, you do. You are blessed by Jesus. I'd like you to notice, please, that Jesus is not commending here faith without evidence. He had, uh, uh, but he's commending faith without sight. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Think about it like this. If we only believed and acted upon the things we could see for ourselves, life would be absolutely impossible. Do you believe, for example, that the earth is more flat or more round? You probably think it's round, because if you thought it was flat, if you got into a ship or a, or a boat and sailed for far enough, you would believe that you'd fall off the end. And so you'd never do that. But you know and you believe the earth is round, and so people have believed for, a num- for many centuries. But do you know it wasn't until the 1960s that anybody actually saw the curvature of the earth with their eyes from outer space? So there are a number of things, um, near and, uh, f- and far, that we can believe and trust even though we cannot see them with our own eyes. If everybody insisted on seeing and touching Jesus, as Thomas had insisted, there'd be no believers today whatsoever. But 
for us, that message has been passed on by credible witnesses. And so another of the disciples, Peter, can write in his first letter, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And so John, in writing this account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, ends this chapter with a note to all who will come afterwards and read that message. In verse 31, he writes, These things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, the whole purpose of John's gospel was that we, like Thomas, might move from evidence, the credible testimony of eyewitnesses, from evidence to faith, and from faith to life. So let me ask you this morning, are you still a doubter, as Thomas had been? Or are you perhaps a semi-believer, like the one who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? Well, let me ask you, please, this morning, to examine your doubt. Is it a sincere doubt that wants to know, and wants to believe, and wants to trust, and wants to know the truth? Consider the evidence. Read through John's Gospel. And consider if it does not strike you as being written by honest people recording the testimony of honest witnesses. So examine your doubt, consider the evidence, and ask for help. You can ask Christians that you know for help. You can ask Jesus himself for help. As I did when, at the age of 19, I moved from doubt to belief when I, all I could say honestly to God was, God, I do not know if you are there, really there. But if you are, please show yourself to me. And God opened my eyes, and that question mark in my mind was taken away and replaced by an exclamation mark, which has never been removed. And I want to promise you today that Jesus will deal just as wisely and as gently with your honest doubts as he dealt with those of Thomas. And who knows that you might find, as he found, that a doubter insisting, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it, becomes a believer exclaiming, my Lord and my God. Let us pray. risen, living Jesus. We are a mixed company this morning of ages and of stages of belief and of unbelief. Be merciful to us. May we have sincerity of heart to seek the truth. May we see again in the words of Scripture a reliable record of a testimony to who Jesus was and is. And may that same Holy Spirit who came upon the disciples all those years ago with such joy now come amongst us that we all might be filled with love and trust and belief. Amen.